Jody Fisher has been on both sides of a reporter's notepad. In the biggest media market in the world, he worked as a former radio broadcast journalist before embarking on his current position as a public relations professional of over 20 years. He's picked up a bass guitar from time to time when he's not collecting Star Wars memorabilia. Please welcome Jody Fisher. <laughs> Hi, Debbie. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you for coming on. So when did you begin your media career? I began my media career probably when I was about 10 years old. I remember visiting a local radio station where I grew up for a tour. I think it was Cub Scouts or something went in there. And I remember walking near, not into, but near the studio where the on-air person was. They were sitting, this is back in the 70s. It was a dark room. It was like a single spotlight. And there he was with a microphone. And he may have even had a cigarette smoking up the room. Just this quiet voice delivering the news. I remember it was the news. And I just peered through that window and looked at this person in this authoritative voice, just very calmly reading this news, like telling everybody this really important stuff. I don't even remember what he said. I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> and that's what I did. I went to a college that would put me on the air behind a microphone right away. And I spent four years on the air at that college radio station, which was actually a public radio station here in the U.S. So it wasn't spinning your favorite tunes for your friends in the dorms. It was actually a 50,000 watt FM station yeah. and uh, did that for four years and walked out into a career in New York City News. I was uh, in New York City newsrooms and I was on the street with my microphone and my bag phone and very quickly became a New York City uh, field reporter. It was a terrific, terrific time. So what kind of stories did you cover? It was general assignment. So it was really anything. I mean, one day I'd be covering a fire. The next day it'd be a court case. The next day would be a nonprofit. It was really throttling back and forth. And I think it's what made me want to be, or I guess be really good at being an agency PR person. I've been in-house PR and I've been agency PR. Mm -hmm. I'm much better <clears throat> as an agency PR person handling a number of different clients across a number of different subject areas, because that's my personality. My personality was, as a reporter, you've got to be, I'm going to make a joke here, but you got to be mediocre at a lot of stuff. <laughs> you can't, you don't have to necessarily be really good at one thing. You got to be okay at a bunch of things. I'd be out on the street at four o'clock in the morning talking to taxi drivers. Um, I would be, like I said, covering court cases or fires or press conferences or features, doing feature stories, all kinds of things, and interviewing lots of interesting people. I will tell you that the most interesting people to interview are the people who are going to work on a Thursday morning at four o'clock in the morning, walking out of Dunkin' Donuts. They just mm. have the best stories. <laughs> they really do. They're real people. I'm sure the cab drivers do too. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. As long as you can get them when they're at a red light, because otherwise they're moving. <laughs> <laughs> so were you always going to transition into public relations or was no, that something not, that happened not by at accident? All. No, no. The long-term plan was to be a radio reporter and specifically to be a radio reporter. While I have a lot of respect for TV reporters, I was never really interested in being a TV reporter or a print journalist for that more, uh, matter. Mm -hmm. And mind you, I never refer to myself as a journalist because to me, journalist is a higher form of reporter. Right. A journalist is someone who does long form research and really gets in the weeds with a subject. 
I was a radio reporter. I'm turning around two and three and four stories a day and getting them on the air. And they're 30 seconds long. I mean, that's literally two sentences. So the plan was for me to be a radio reporter and for me to work morning drive. And I just had one of those epiphanies one day where I was like, oh, I don't think I can do this. I transferred my skills into public relations. So how has your media background helped you in your PR business? I think it's helped me tremendously. I think, number one, I still think like a reporter. At least I try to. I always try to put myself in the shoes of the reporters, the editors, the assignment editors, who I'm pitching, and try to ask of myself the questions that I know they're going to ask me. And any good, and this is not unique, any good PR person does this, right? If I'm pitching a story for my client and I'm trying to get press for my client, what is the reporter going to need to tell the story that I want them to tell? So that's everything from, number one, a good story. <laughs> you've got to frame it properly. I think that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be able to tell that story in two sentences to get the person hooked. Two, you've got to have all the assets. And I've talked about this on social media a bit and on my own podcast. You've got to give them the assets that they need to tell the story. And that's depending on the medium, whether it's print or radio or TV or whatever. But typically it's, do you have the video? Do you have, well, first of all, do you have the story? Second, do you have the inter, the people who you can interview, the players on the stage? Um, if it's TV or even if it's not TV anymore, do you have video? Do you have the social media handles? Do you have all the supporting assets that every reporter needs to tell the story effectively to make this work? for their audience, for their channel, for their medium. So that's, I think, the most important asset that I have is that, is that I still think like a reporter. And the story is sometimes it takes a little work to come up with the angle. Otherwise, it's really, and, and convince the client that this is the story you need to tell because otherwise it's just advertising, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I've occasionally said to a client, that's not a story, that's an ad. So yeah. if you'd like to buy an ad, sure, go do that. Absolutely. Break your arm, patting yourself on the back. That's fine. And not to knock our advertising brethren, um, an ad is not as authentic as a story from a journalist, from a, a news outlet. It's what we call third-party endorsement, right? When a reporter writes something, and it's the old joke about what's the difference between advertising and PR, right? Advertising is walking into a party and telling everybody that you're really great in bed, <laughs> And PR is walking in a room into a party and having everybody else tell you that you're great in bed. So I guess we could say that because we're online here, right? But that it's third-party endorsement. It's someone else saying to you, it's a reporter yeah. using their column inches, their airtime, their whatever their medium is to say, to endorse you, to say, look, this person, look at this story. I'm going to take the time and tell this person's story to my audience. And that's the other thing you got to remember is when you're pitching stories to reporters, you're not just talking to the reporter, you're talking to their audience. So different stories belong in different places and in different forms. Well, um, and also I've seen the conversation today, actually, amongst my PR people about this. With regards to reporters, how many pitches from your experience did you see a day and how many do you think they get now oh it could may it may have increased by tenfold and that's just because of email right back when i was a reporter i got all my information by fax and phone 
Um, and we thought fax was like magic, right? Like, ooh, look at right. that piece of paper comes out of a machine with print on it. And now sending an email is, an e is as easy as having a thought, right? And so you really need to be, and I think we were on a, a Twitter thread just today about this. You've got to be really discerning, I think, with what you send out. There is a school of thought from, I'll say, some less experienced PR people who think that you should just blast out a release. You make a list that's 400 names and emails long. You write a news release that is probably mediocre at best. You blast <laughs> it out to everybody, cross your fingers and hope to God that somebody prints it. That is not PR. I would much rather take that release, dig in for a week with the client and make it a good release. Don't just write what the client says, but really dig out the story there and tell a good story through that release, because I'm not saying the release is dead, and then send that release individually to 10 reporters that you have relationships with, or maybe you don't have a relationship with them, but you know that this is what they write about, that this is based on what you've read of their work. This is potentially or likely interesting to them, right? And I'd rather get one of those out of even those 10, I'd rather get one of those hit then send out a broadly written news release yeah. to 400 places and get like 16 automatic pickups from news sites that they bury it in the way in the back of their pages. Because that's the value Which, that we bring to clients is we tell yeah. their story and we, and we tell it in a place and in a venue that is going to move their needle. So when you were a reporter, which stories rose to the top of your email chain? Or fax machine, yeah, because of all I, those pitches, which ones, I mean, you go through your email and there's like a gazillion of them, which ones stand out? It's a word I use all the time, actionable. Mm -hmm. Is this information actionable? So again, putting yourself and putting myself in the shoes of the reporter that I'm sending this information to. Is this actionable? What can I do with this? First of all, is it appropriate? Can I use it? Is this what I write about? Is this what my audience read comes to me to our publication to read about or to hear about or to find out about so that's number one it's got to pass the smell test so you've got to be familiar with the publication you're sending to but then beyond that it's do i have the raw materials here this is the reporter speaking do i have the raw materials where i can actually write a story or i can actually report this on the radio station or or point a tv camera at it and tell this story or do i have to work at it if it's the latter there's a delete button on the right-hand side <laughs> of the reporter's keyboard, and that's what's getting hit. <laughs> if they've got it, because they've got, they've got a ton of these actionable pitches in their email. If they have to think for more than 15 seconds about whether or not they can do it, you're gone. They just yeah. don't have time, and they don't need to, because they got plenty of things that they can talk about. I was surprised to hear this last week that there is this myth amongst some PR professionals and other people of, as well, where they think the reporter has control over what gets published and presented and who finalizes their copy. But you've been a reporter. <laughs> I've been a reporter. If you're really good, you won't get a lot of corrections, but sometimes it just gets chopped up. I remember when I was PR director for professional baseball team and watching this reporter 
see his story go from a thousand words down to 500 words in the span of the game. So he had to keep chopping and you see it in all other sports arenas as well, where you start out with some copy and then you, it just, or it gets killed altogether. So what would you say in response to that? Because having been on that side, how much control did you have over your stories and did you have any of them killed? Second answer, absolutely. Stories can just drop off. And I'm speaking mostly as a radio reporter, but then I'll go through the other mediums as well. I think radio reporters have the most control over their stories and over what ends up on air. Here's why. The radio reporter is typically out in the field, although sometimes they're in the studio. They're reporting. They're sending back the finished product that you hear from the first syllable to the last, right? Mm -hmm. That 30-second, that 40-second radio report. And they're being filed. They're being put in the computer system. Back when I was a reporter, you actually had to call up and talk on the phone and someone had to record it on the other end. Now you're right. probably just uploading it as a file. But either way, there's, there's not a lot of editing. It probably still isn't a lot of editing going on back in the studio of that finished radio report. Disclaimer, maybe sometimes it'll get chopped because they'll cut it up. They'll take that 40 seconds, if you can believe it, and cut it into like little 10 second <laughs> syllables. But radio reporters, I think, still have the most control over the finished product. You're absolutely right that print reporters, the final print piece can look nothing like what the original thing was. And never mind the old, we don't write the headlines thing. That's just added. <laughs> That's another um, story. But right, but but literally, you know, a print reporter will conduct interviews, write the story, edit their own story, send it to their editor. The editor co will come back with questions to clarify what's being written. And this is a good thing to clarify what's being written. And then there'll be a process by which the editor actually copy edits down for length and for accuracy to make sure that the finished product is crystal clear. Then beyond that, that will then get cut down in the layout process yeah. because, oh, we only have four inches here or six inches there. We got to rearrange this. So we got to pull out that sentence and all that kind of jazz. So print probably goes through the heavily, the, the most heavily edited system from, from start to finish, the kind of that you were talking about, that thousand word down to 500. Yeah. TV somewhere in between. Yeah, of course, the headline's another story. <laughs> <laughs> so all you can do is hope that the headline matches the story. <laughs> well, and and know, I have seen it not why, do that. Oh, 100%, 100%. And sometimes the headline writers nail it. And sometimes it's just sales, to use your sports analogies, just sales right over your head. It'd be pretty funny. Yeah, that reminds me of when I was radio reporting in my early days. I had to call in a story at a hockey at an Oilers game. All the lights were out in the arena except in the press box. Of course, I'm trying to read this story. And you've got white notepad and this freaking moth kept flopping all over my paper as I'm trying to read it. <laughs> I, I literally had to do it like three times because the oh, stupid God. moth wouldn't go away. Right. 
I remember trying to call in a story one time as a radio reporter. If you're calling it in and you're reciting your script and your script is balancing right there on your steering wheel. It's all of three sentences. Can I tell you, I was just having a day and I could not get these three sentences out. I was like trying it over and over and over again for like 20 minutes. And finally I said, I, forget it. I got to call you back. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the tongue just doesn't work. The, you know, the brain tongue connection just isn't happening. And if it's really late at night, you only got one guy on the desk and he's doing the DJ stuff too. <laughs> and he doesn't have a whole lot of time to wait for several takes on it either. So yep. that's why, that's why live is always the best. Yeah. <laughs> Clock just keeps ticking. So in the past 20 years, over 25% of the newspapers have been shut down and positions have been cut to 42% of the workforce so not only is there no control over the story and what the editor accepts but the editor and the publisher is at the whim of the owner and you know anybody who's ever worked in media knows that you're only you only have a job as long as somebody likes you and so let's talk about that Lisa LaFlam story. <laughs> oh my. Well, I mean, that was just speaking of that <laughs> disaster start to finish. And really, I think sort of not only poorly handled, but really ugly ugly. Is that a word? It's it was ugly. It's an ugly thing, right? It's it ugly. It was ugly. <laughs> like the way they did it and what they did, and seemingly from the outside for no good reason. They had a track um, record, though, of doing stuff like that. Maybe not necessarily with ages for female. We know the world that we live in, and we've got some real monsters of my gender on that side of the equation. Like, you almost look at these people, yeah. and you're like, what were you thinking? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What's like, the win? And that's what I always ask. Like, where's the win? Where's the win for you in doing this? Like, I, I can well, understand if like there's a win. BP. I don't see the win. It's like the Gulf oil spill with BP. It's every time they open their mouth, they create a new crisis. Well, yeah, then we could go on forever, <laughs> right? With those types of mistakes. Or sort yeah. Of digging, trying to dig yourself out of the hole that you keep digging. But um, how, many, how long has it been? Three weeks. And as of this broadcast, it's been three weeks. And she has been trending hourly every single day since then. And you know why? And I have not, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I've not watched it day to day the way other people have. I have not heard the key phrase that would end this in a heartbeat. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, they're not. <laughs> they're not, right? And they're not going to say it. Until they say it, they're going to keep getting the snot yeah. beat out of them, and they should. <laughs> Yeah. And of course you hear, oh, well, they need to hire her back. Well, you think she's going to go back to them? Uh-uh. Oh. <laughs> I think oh. Global or one of the other stations needs to hire her. <laughs> and oh, then she sure. Can, she can work. Hey, yeah. Or Paging she could create CNN. her own media and Paging post CNN. all that. <laughs> I think she should create her own media and have all those reporters get poached <laughs> from, from Bell. <laughs> You bring up a good point. I mean, we live in a world, and let's set aside the misinformation category for just a minute. We live in a world where you and I, we're, I mean, we're on a TV station right now. Yeah. We're putting out a broadcast right now, right? Creating uh, our own media. Here in, in the PR garage in my home, and you are where you are. And all you need is what we've got. We're doing the same basic thing that any yeah. other TV station is doing. So why not do that? Yeah. 
Well, and that brings me to my next question, because traditional media is really a very tiny part of the landscape. And I'm watching a lot more YouTube channels these days and the digital media channels, which have triple or more the audience than the tradition, traditional YouTube channels, traditional media YouTube channels. So do you think that YouTube media, like journalists are getting a bum rap because they're, I mean, it's people like us who used to work in the media that now have YouTube channels and there's others that are just killing it with huge, huge audiences, but they're getting the stories and they're able to flush out the story that is getting chopped on the network. You hit it there. It's all about the content. It's all yeah. about the product that you're putting out, because if you're doing good work, regardless of where the product sits, online, TV, cable, you name it, if the product is good, it will resonate. It will naturally attract viewers. I think the one drawback downfall or whatever the word is, is that with digital media, I think people have become accustomed to overnight success. When I say yeah. overnight, I mean like a couple of weeks. And I'll use myself as an example, the podcast that I do every week and a, and a show airs every, a taped show airs every single Monday. I've been at this for two straight years, almost every Monday with very few exceptions. That audience, granted it's for a very niche audience, it's for PR yeah. people like us, has only very slowly and steadily grown. It is not shot through the roof. No, and same I with think that, mine, yeah. I think that in the world that we live in, we expect to put up an Instagram feed and have a million followers or whatever. That's just not the way it works, but good content will, will magnetize an audience. Yeah, I look at it as it's something I really love doing. I can do what I wanna do and I can showcase, you know, my abilities as an interviewer. And, cause I think I'm okay. <laughs> doing just fine <laughs> also i started this particular broadcast just over a year ago i'm just beyond grateful for the guests that i've had on the show these are people i never would have ever thought i would ever meet let alone face to face and and be able to interview them so that is really grateful but i do not i still work at the skills i still kind of, how do I say it? I don't just jump on the air and just talk on my mm -hmm. side of it. I, I approach it the same way I used to report when I was in sports. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to do a one-on-one, -on -one, I take my time, I research, I formulate the questions and I kind of get into the human's element of it. So that's my approach, but everybody is different. And I think that's what makes it great is that you get all these different voices. What I love about the digital media is that it provides a platform where if you have no voice, you now have a voice. hundred percent agreed. We, I think we all, those of us who are fortunate enough to have access to this technology, because not everybody does, but more and more of us do, and you're absolutely right. It's really as easy as investing in a little bit of technology and doing the very important prep work that you're talking about doing to inform yourself before you jump on there to really ask smart questions and to use those reporter skills that you and I both yeah. have, you know, and, 
sort of engaging with someone, asking intelligent questions, and then allowing that conversation to evolve, to sort of unfurl the, the narrative that you're talking about. Because what you don't want to do is just get boxed in on question one, question two, question three, and never really explore. I think reporters also do that. The best reporters do that very, very well, right? They may only have one or two questions, yeah. but they've done enough research that they know where they want to get to and they want to, they know what they want to understand and they know what they want to pass on in terms of information. And so allowing an interview subject to, to unfurl like that is really important. What's the, your favorite story that you worked on or one of your favorite stories that you've worked on over the years? Oh, well, there have been a lot. I, I never like to say that natural disaster. You, you ask reporters, like, what were, the, what were the most important things you've ever covered? And it's always like 9-11 and some yeah. disaster and some, I'm sorry, to, I, I don't mean to sound crass. Those are not important. 9-11 may be different, but like, those are not important stories as much as they are about like the single mom who is struggling to achieve something or I just did a story. I'll use a really recent example. Client of mine has a not-for-profit client of mine has a program that helps children who have physical disabilities. Let's just leave it at that. Two kids, twins, boy and a girl, born two decades ago with a, a dizzying array of physical disabilities. And mom... You know, me doing my research, talking to mom, mom tells me that, you know, how the doctors said that the son wasn't even going to live six hours after he was born, that they were getting him out of the way oh. when she gave birth because the daughter had a better chance of living, spent all their lives overcoming physical disabilities with the help of this not-for-profit client of mine. And they go to high school, they graduated high school and they're going to college. The boy who had lung problems his entire life is a performer and an opera singer. The girl oh, wow. who was told she would never develop muscularly and would probably spend her life in a wheelchair is going to college on a lacrosse scholarship. Oh, wow. Right? Great, great, great story. You know who the focus of this story is? Not the not-for-profit client, mom and the two kids. Yeah. Those are the stories I love. Yeah. Those are the, and those are the stories that need to get told. Because those are the stories that are really important to our communities. Those are the stories that people need to see and go, wow, I can do it too. Or my life isn't as bad as that life. What's my excuse? I can go make my community better. I can go. To and to me, that's the best PR that I yeah. can do is telling stories that inspire other people that sure, maybe help the client in their mission and what they do, but have a larger effect and really speak to an entire community and saying, look at all these people who live right next door to you. They're amazing. They're amazing people. Let the politicians sit down and let the people who are full of hot air sit down and shut up. <laughs> well, I don't think this broadcast could end any better than that. Thank you so much, Joey. <laughs> well, Debbie, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I really had a good time.